So, uh, good afternoon. Uh, thanks for joining. Uh, my name is uh, Jayesh Patel. I am a, a transplant and nephrology fellow. Uh, so, quick uh, couple of notes before I start my presentation. Uh, first is uh, Maria, uh, my colleague. Uh, she she was scheduled to uh, present uh, uh, as well, but uh, she is, and that was uh, about uh, a GN order set that was recently incorporated in uh, Epic. Uh, but uh, she is on vacation, so she will not be able to do it today. And the second is I <laughs> changed my. Uh, uh, topic today. Uh, uh, we had submitted uh, two posters for uh, American uh, Transplant Congress earlier uh, in January and both got accepted. So I thought it would be nice opportunity to uh, present both posters in this conference and it would be again like very useful for us to gather uh, any thoughts or any recommendations or anything from the uh, every faculties. So I will, before I start, I will uh, give some uh, uh, little bit uh, background or introduction. Uh, so uh, immunosuppression medications are kind of emerging field and there has been nuances in uh, this field. Uh, and this is uh, currently cornerstones in the world of transplantation, starting from um, induction medications, thymoglobulin, alentuzumab, and then maintenance uh, medications such as uh, antimetabolites, cellcept, and the tacrolimus cyclosporin that has changed the landscape for in the transplant field uh, over the last uh, because of nuances and better patient management uh, uh, over the last few decades the long-term survival of uh, renal allograft has been significantly increased uh, despite of uh, this uh, success uh, there is a substantial numbers of recipients who eventually uh, required a reinitiation of uh, dialysis subsequent to allograft failure. And there are many reasons behind that. Uh, and the balance uh, between uh, the benefit of maintaining uh, versus discontinuation of uh, immunosuppression is kind of gray area. And uh, after uh, failed allograft, it's still gray area in transplant. Unfortunately, not much uh, published uh, guideline or literature, good quality evidence or lit uh, literature is uh, available. Uh, so I will go over the benefits and the risk of uh, continuation of immunosuppression after uh, failure of allograft. So there has been a, a good evidence that uh, a reduction, the continuation of immunosuppression would help uh, in uh, minimization of allosensitization after uh, uh, after patients and ends up on dialysis. Uh, it also uh, lowers the risk of acute uh, rejection and subsequently uh, allograft intolerance uh, syndrome that often patient uh, in that syndrome presents with uh, abdominal pain, hematuria and febrile like illness after immediate discontinuation of uh, uh, immunosuppression. And uh, it will also help uh, to uh, reduce the need for allograft nephrectomy. Along with that, uh, it also lowers the risk of acute adrenal insufficiency. Uh, a patient, a patient is on uh, prednisone for years, and uh, uh, we can imagine the condition after a sudden cessation of a prednisone. It might end up uh, with uh, acute adrenal insufficiency. And there is uh, some uh, some uh, data uh, that suggests that uh, the residual allograft renal function that uh, lasts a uh, little longer uh, with continuation of uh, immunosuppression, despite 
need for dialysis. And this, that is one of important consideration if we start a peritoneal dialysis after allograft failure. And uh, it also prevents the reactivation of uh, primary disease that cause kidney failure, such as uh, lupus and anchor uh, vasculitis. But it also comes with uh, many risks. First is uh, continuation of immunosuppression, increased uh, susceptibility uh, to infection that could be any like bacterial, viral, or fungal infection, and that may increase the mortality ratio. Uh, second is uh, especially the CNIs and uh, prednisone uh, steroids. It may cause metabolic complications such as diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia. It will also increase the risk for development of malignancies such as squamous uh, cell or melanoma and Kaposi sarcoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and lip cancer. Uh, it also, uh, by causing metabolic uh, uh, complication, it will also risk for cardiovascular disease, uh, especially the, the prednisone or steroids. It might cause a new onset uh, diabetes or worsening of pre-existing diabetes control. And we all familiar with complication of uh, uh, long-term steroid use, uh, such as diabetes, cataract, myopathy, vascular necrosis, osteoporosis. It just, list just uh, goes on and on. And again, like it, it would also increase the cost. Uh, uh, so sometimes if insurance wouldn't cover, it might cause uh, uh, additional burden, financial burden to the patient. So in general, uh, the primary goal is to withdraw or minimize uh, immunosuppression without precipitating acute rejection. Uh, second, without uh, causing any adverse uh, side effects related to acute drug withdrawal. Or and uh, and other other goal would be uh, to minimize uh, or exacerbate allosensitive digestion. Uh, so as, uh, men as I mentioned earlier, there is no high quality evidence to guide uh, about uh, dosing and uh, tapering, optimal method for tapering of immunosuppression subsequent to allograft failure. Uh, I tried to search in CADAIGO uh, transplant guideline, but I couldn't able to find any concrete evidence or guideline that's suggestive of like, uh, that guides the uh, gradual winning of immunosuppression. And uh, this is this quote I found in the British uh, Transplant Society guideline that was specifically uh, designed for management of uh, failure, uh, fa management of failing uh, uh, allograft that was published in Transplantation Journal 2014. Uh, and that was uh, quite uh, vague. I mean, it was not a kind of pinpointing about uh, what would be the dose on what would be the uh, ideal uh, tapering uh, method for, uh, immunosuppression. Uh, it was just mentioned uh, that uh, consideration to be given uh, to the relative risk of maintaining uh, recipient immunosuppression after uh, returning to dialysis and relisting for a repeat uh, kidney transplant and uh, the clinical benefit of immunosuppression drug tapering or withdrawal and the risk of de novo sensitization that may preclude uh, option for future kidney transplantation. And that is particularly relevant, uh, re relevant for pediatric recipient and uh, younger population who are otherwise healthy and uh, who are uh, eligible for uh, retransplantation within their lifetime. So uh, there, is, there is a good amount of data that suggests uh, prior allograft transplantation and immunosuppression withdrawal uh, after allograft failure uh, are both are risk factor for HLA sensitization. And uh, 
which might uh, limit uh, for uh, which might cause a limitation if we proceed for retransplantation and it might cause increased uh, waitlist timing. And this is uh, specifically important for younger population and pediatric population uh, who are otherwise healthy and means obviously they are eligible for uh, another transplant, including a living donation. And there is a one published study that uh, like uh, so uh, so that kind of uh, analyze the what would be the risk uh, if uh, we uh, discontinue immuno immunosuppression and the development of uh, allosensitization. So that was uh, uh, one study that was published uh, in a transplantation journal and. Uh, a Based on their study, they found the non-sensitization rate at uh, retransplantation evaluation were 30% and 60% for early and uh, prolonged immunosuppression withdrawal respectively. So in the study, uh, the early immunosuppression withdrawal was, they consider um, the patients in whom immunosuppression were discontinued uh, within three months. And uh, so they define those kind of patients in early immunosuppression uh, withdrawal group and uh, those patients in whom immunosuppression uh, was discontinued after three months, they were put into prolonged uh, uh, immunosuppression withdrawal group. And uh, they mentioned like as, as per study, like uh, so 30% sensitization, a non-sensitization non rate that was lower in early uh, withdrawal group. And it was almost double, more than double in uh, the patients in whom uh, immunosuppression was, uh, withdrawal was delayed uh, after three months. And after adjoining the cofactors such as blood transfusion and allograph nephrectomy, uh, they found, uh, 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 they found uh, increased uh, rate of non-sensitization uh, in uh, patients uh, in whom uh, the immunosuppression was uh, prolonged and odds ratio was uh, 5.78 and 95% confidence interval was 1.37 to 24. And that was uh, statistically uh, significant. So uh, based on uh, the this study, uh, we thought uh, to see the data in uh, our group. Uh, that uh, uh, in we have we, we found a few patients in whom uh, uh, they who received a first kidney transplant and after uh, allograft failure who received a second transplant here in our institute. So we try to uh, find a similar odds ratio and data uh, in uh, our population as well. So uh, uh, so we started with uh, so we we started looking at uh, uh, our uh, our uh, patient. Uh, transplanted uh, patients data. And uh, so amongst them, we also found that uh, many of patients who received a kidney transplant already had a first uh, kidney or other solid organ transplants such as either kidney pancreas, uh, then a heart transplant or lung transplant. So uh, we, we found, uh, so we decided to study what would be the CPRA uh, when patient came for either first or second kidney transplant and uh, who already had first kidney, uh, first uh, other solid organ transplant and uh, whether they were on immunosuppression or not. And if, and what would be the change in the CPRA status at the time of uh, kidney transplant. And I will go over that in a minute. 
So our uh, our uh, hypothesis was the patient who remained on immunosuppression after first solid organ transplant, uh, who who uh, would have lower level of CBRA uh, prior to second uh, organ transplantation. So uh, here uh, we did uh, what we did. So uh, we retrospectively analyzed CPR levels in a kidney transplant recipient at our center from 10 years, like within 10 years, January 2009 till December 2019, who had undergone uh, non-liver solid uh, organ transplantation. And we compared sensitization at the time of uh, kidney transplantation uh, between those who remained on immunosuppression and uh, those who didn't. And we also did a uh, calculated odds ratio and uh, uh, Fisher uh, test to see whether uh, this data is uh, statistically significant. And we excluded the patient who had uh, received a liver transplant or who already had three or more uh, solid organ transplants. So here, uh, here is the result what we find. So our, our sample size was total like 108 patients. So amongst the majority here, so this is uh, details for first organ. So as a total amongst 108, 108 patients, majority patients received a kidney transplant as a first organ. Uh, along with that, uh, 12, 12 patients uh, received simultaneous kidney and pancreas transplant in first place. Uh, one patient had uh, received a pancreas, isolated pancreas transplant and a lung transplant. Uh, lung transplant was performed in two patients and heart transplant was performed in uh, five patients. And here is the uh, results. So we uh, so we had data about CPRA level at the second transplant. So we did a sub, we, we divided the data in subgroups. So we we we, kept, we divided the CPRA status in four group. Uh, one would be less than 20%, second would be 20 to 50%, third, third is 50 to 80%, and the last group were more than 80%. And uh, so here is the uh, results. Uh, so you can see here, so amongst uh, 108 patients, more than half patients, uh, in, in more than half patients, immunosuppression uh, was uh, uh, discontinued. Uh, and uh, 44, so it would be like 40% 40, 40 patients, immunosuppression was continued. That could be due to uh, functioning allograft. So suppose if someone has received heart transplant and later they develop CNI toxicity, uh, requiring a kidney transplantation. So obviously on those kind of patients, immunosuppression was continued. And in some patients uh, who, uh, who, who received a kidney transplant uh, first time, in, on, uh, we found some patients in whom immunosuppression was continued. So, uh, so those both kind of patients included in the same category here. Uh, for, so, and we found a 40% patient uh, who, who remained on immunosuppression. So uh, amongst uh, 44 patients, uh, 21, uh, almost half patients, uh, CPRA uh, remained less than uh, 20% uh, compared to uh, six out of 64. Uh, in here, uh, only 10%, close to 10% patient, we found CPRA less than uh, 20%. Uh, 20 and uh, here, if we talk about the patients who, who are highly sensitized during kidney transplantation, we found that the majority of the patients, uh, uh, 
amongst like 40, 42 patients, majority patients, like 36 out of 42 patients, uh, like uh, they have in, in, in whom uh, immunosuppression was uh, discontinued. And uh, if we consider like total, total percentage of patient uh, in whom immunosuppression continued, 36 out of 64 patients uh, had uh, CPRA more than uh, 80%. And here, here also we can see the trend of the patients. So in the patients in whom immunosuppression was stopped, uh, CPRA overall increased and only few patients had CPRA less than 20%. Uh, and for, uh, here I want to mention one thing uh, that uh, we didn't have data of CPRA uh, in many patients who received their first transplantation. Either the transplantation was performed uh, very remotely, or uh, in some patients, the first transplant, first organ transplantation was performed outside our uh, institute. So, based on uh, this result, we calculated um, odds ratio, and this is the result we found in our study. So, we noticed that the odds of having CPR more than twenty percent was eight point eight, with ninety five percent confidence interval was three point one to twenty. 4.6 uh, in patients who were not on immunosuppression prior to kidney transplantation. And the p-value uh, was uh, less than uh, 0.0001. So this suggests that the data was uh, statistically uh, significant in our study. So uh, here I want to I want to discuss in this slide about what is the limitation in our study. Uh, so and uh, along with that, I also want to discuss uh, what the, more about our uh, result. So first of all, as mentioned in my previous slide, there is a lack of clear guideline of management of immunosuppression after a graph failure. Uh, in, uh, in our single center retrograde study, uh, which was based on assessment of uh, CPRS status at the time of second organ transplantation, uh, we observed a significant higher risk of sensitization if uh, immunosuppression was discontinued completely. But again, a couple of things I want to mention. Uh, first is uh, we didn't uh, separate uh, our patients uh, who received uh, immunosuppression in terms of uh, like whether they received a CNI only or CNI and CELCEPT or just prednisone or CNI or CNI and prednisone. So we included anyone who is receiving either CNI or uh, CELCEPT or prednisone or combined in a one group. And that is just a big group uh, in which like we just consider them having a, a complete con having a continuation of immunosuppression. So we didn't perform subgroup analysis. Uh, second is uh, continuation of immunosuppression obviously increased chances of infection, malignancy and cardiovascular disease. So those kind of patients, uh, we didn't, uh, by default, they were excluded from the study. Uh, and the third is uh, the, our power of our analysis uh, is very limited, uh, being the study uh, being from a single center and having a, a very small sample size. Uh, and the last thing uh, I want to mention is uh, uh, we we didn't uh, we didn't uh, uh, do uh, like separate analysis based on the dose. If someone receiving uh, prednisone five five milligram or someone is receiving 
10 milligram or if someone having cells of 500 milligram or 1000 milligram, we included every every kind of patient in the one group. And, uh, and the last thing is uh, uh, there is obviously some confounding factors uh, that is uh, played a role here too. Uh, if someone uh, is uh, receive a blood transfusion or immunization uh, or someone had nephrectomy or if someone had uh, acute rejection, uh, which might include a worsening of uh, sensitization, we didn't uh, like uh, do analysis based on standardization. So confounding factors still uh, potentially limit uh, our interpret our uh, interpretation. Uh, so uh, in the conclusion, uh, in, a sing uh, in our uh, single center analysis, the patients who were not on immunosuppression prior to second solid organ transplant had much higher risk of being sensitization compared to the patient who were not on immunosuppression, immunos immunosuppression. and the number of highly sensitized patients, uh, we define CPRA more than 80% were, uh, were significantly higher in, in the category uh, who were not on any immunosuppression. And additional prospective studies on a larger scales are needed to confirm uh, the benefit of uh, immunosuppression continuation, as well as uh, to uh, find out the risk of development of infection, malignancies, and cardiovascular events uh, with uh, this extended immunocompromised uh, state. And these both are our, uh, our references. And this is the actual poster. And I will pause here. I have second poster, but I still want to pause here. And I will ask for any question, recommendation, any thoughts. I do have a couple of comments, um, Josh. Um, this is an interesting study. Uh, there is a, an issue, a rather subtle issue of ascertainment bias, which, if anything, probably strengthens rather than weakens your conclusion that these are patients, all of whom received a second transplant. Uh, the relevant, the, the proper relevant thing is the people who are being considered for a transplant, because it's likely that there would be uh, a number of them who never were able to receive a transplant because they were highly sensitized. And uh, if given the trends of what you've seen, it is likely that that would even accentuate your thing. But since you have the uh, pre, uh, you, you could check the patients who, who failed their transplants to see if they were ever evaluated for retransplant and actually make your, uh, your pattern, uh, your, your uh, comparison between people being compared for a second transplant. That might uh, help avoid that bias. The second question that came immediately to me is, okay, so these people uh, are all patients who got their second transplant. Did the preservation of, immun of immunosuppression before their transplant actually affect their outcomes, which is what is the most important thing? So the degree of sensitization would be expected to affect the outcomes, but you have the data on the outcomes and you should probably look at that too. I agree, yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Hensiker.
Um, yeah, if I could follow up, um, you know, a, a, a variation on Larry's point might be to look at median time to transplant for the group yeah. that were that did end up getting transplanted uh, on immunosuppression versus not. Um, the second thing that you may want to keep in mind is that the CPRA simply re uh, relates to um, the prevalence of the totality of the antibodies that are against a North American population. It doesn't necessarily tell you the degree of sensitization. For example, if you have a single antibody against HLA-A2, your CPRA is 48%, only because 48% of North Americans are HLA-A2. Um, while somebody who has who has raised, you know, 15 different antibodies against a variety of less common HLA antigens might have a CPRA that's half that, but you could argue that the one that has raised more antibodies may be more sensitized than the one that has raised less antibodies. And I wonder if there's a way to get at that perhaps by looking at the number of parental alleles to which you have antibodies as opposed to looking at uh, CPRA. CPRA. And the third thing that, you know, I know you're going to um, get this published. You're going to have to anticipate questions from reviewers about uh, um, whether there were opportunistic infections and in those that mm -hmm. remained on immunosuppression and whether there was evidence of Addisonian crisis or reactivation of disease in people that came off immunosuppression while they were on the waiting list. And you might want to try and um, see if the data is available or at least anticipate the questions and deflect it by addressing it. Well, it's also the number of uh, antibodies or antibodies against how many antigens, but the strength of those antibodies uh, as, as Christine knows. But the other thing on, on, on this group uh, is uh, how many patients uh, did actually receive some uh, maintenance uh, immunosuppression, maybe short, for a long time and then eventually stopped before uh, uh, second kidney transplant. And uh, how much of that sensitization, maybe it's due to other sensitizing events. Yeah. And that's why to me, it's hard to, to draw conclusions from this. You know, it's nice that you looked at this, but I'm not sure how to actually use this, so, you know, make an assumption uh, that uh, the uh, um, lack of maintenance sensitization was actually the one that led to increased CPRA. That's very true, Moni. We, we don't know, uh, and you bring up a good point. The, uh, unfortunately, we looked at time points uh, wherein we, we had a snapshot of patients um, being evaluated or close to their second transplant. I mean, this has the fallacies of a retrospective analysis, just like uh, most other uh, retrospective analyses will. Um, the issue comes with, um, you know, what happens in between uh, graft failure and listing for a second transplant is not caught well by our electronic medical record. Uh, some of them are treated elsewhere. Some of them are, uh, I mean, the care is taken over by local nephrologists. Um, so that data was uh, I mean, it's a little difficult to get. Um, what we are simply trying to show show is that, uh, and again, this is a very crude way of looking at uh, sensitization, as in looking at uh, CPRA. 
but but given we pay so much attention to CPRA at the time of listing or in the time of counseling of patients where we say, hey, your CPRA is high, you're going to wait for a long time or you're going to get extra points uh, and so and so, we just looked at CPRA itself. You could also argue that um, it's intuitive that stopping immunosuppression increases sensitization. That's why we don't let patients stop it while they still have a functioning allograft. But to Moni's point, unless one publishes retrospective studies like this that hint at a mechanism, you may not um, have enough uh, to suggest a prospective study randomizing people to no immunosuppression versus graded levels of immunosuppression. Because the other open question here is exactly how much immunosuppression does can one give that is an optimal balance between reducing sensitization and reducing opportunistic infections, which as you know, can be fatal. And if, you're, if someone dies with you know, disseminated histo because you were trying to get them to a second transplant and they hadn't even got there, that would be a tragedy. Right, right. And the other thing is, uh, Dr. Thomas, I'm not sure, but it might be uh, even unethical to do a uh, prospective trial, right? Not if, as Moni says, the data is not really there, and it isn't really there. Um, um, if it was, nobody would come off their immunosuppression even after a failed graph. I think to justify a prospective study and to get funding, you would need to have you know one or two reasonable retrospective studies that um, would um, uh, at least strongly suggest that, that it is in fact true. Maybe, maybe we should uh, let uh, Jarosh get on to his uh, next, Jayesh get on to his next abstract, his next uh, presentation. Yeah, sure. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for uh, comments and uh, thoughts. So I will move on to my uh, second presentation. So, uh, so it is a, a sort of uh, like a analysis of a subgroup from the main cohort that we found in the in the first uh, in during in, in the uh, review of, of while I was uh, doing working uh, I was working on the first uh, poster. So uh, we found that uh, amongst like eighty eight patients that I mentioned in like amongst one hundred eight patients in some of patients uh, we found the CPRA. Uh, when they received a first kidney transplant. And obviously we had a CPRA level for all patients during this, their second uh, kidney transplantation. So that gave us opportunity to compare and see uh, whether there was, whether, uh, any, there was any change in, in terms of CPRA um, between first and the second kidney transplant. And if yes, uh, can we compare between the patients who received immunotransplantation in between and who were not on? And uh, based on that, we did some uh, additional analysis and we found some interesting data based on that. So uh, we hypothesized that uh, a continuation of immunosuppression after first kidney transplantation uh, failure uh, would prevent a worsening of sensitization status as reflected by CPRA uh, before uh, second transplantation. So a uh, same uh, same uh, time frame uh, retrospectively analyzed uh, uh, 
our uh, patient population uh, in APIC uh, in our center in, in from January 2009 till December 2019, who had undergone previous of kidney transplant or simultaneous kidney transplantation. Uh, patient who received more than uh, two kidney transplantation or other solid organ transplantation such as liver, lung, heart were excluded uh, from our study. And uh, in um, uh, this uh, analysis, uh, we calculated a CPRA at the time of first and second kidney transplant. And we also included the, how many patients were on immunosuppression and uh, how many patients were not on. And uh, we used uh, uh, a Fisher test to see uh, any, whether our data is uh, significant or not. So uh, we found 47 patients who met our inclusion criteria. And amongst them, majority, uh, 42 out of 47 uh, had a first kidney transplant and five out of 47 patients had a first, uh, a first organ was a kidney and a pancreas simultaneous transplant. So this is the uh, result of our study. So amongst uh, 47, uh, 17 patients, uh, so almost 40% of patients uh, were falling uh, uh, were falling uh, one category, and in those patients, uh, immunosuppression was continued before second kidney transplant. And uh, amongst uh, those patients, nine out of 17, so uh, more than half patients, CPRA uh, remained unchanged uh, at the time of second uh, kidney transplantation. And uh, 30 patients out of 47, uh, so more than 60 percent patients, uh, immunosuppression was discontinued, and almost uh, 90 percentage of patients uh, experience increase or worsening of uh, their CPRA uh, at the time of uh, second transplantation. And we also calculate we also calculated odd ratio, and we found the odds of uh, having uh, increased or worsening of CPRA at the time of second transplantation after discontinuation of immunosuppression compared to continuation of it uh, was uh, 10 and confidence interval was uh, 2.2 to 46.5 and p-value was uh, well below 0.05. And again, the same, this is uh, just part of the main study. So all limitations uh, also applies uh, here as well. And in our study, uh, bottom line, we found increased uh, odds of having worsening of uh, uh, CPRA at the time of second transplant. Um, and the same, uh, as I mentioned, the same limitations apply uh, here as well. And our conclusion was uh, discontinuation of immunosuppression uh, after a first allograft failure significantly increase odds for increased CPR at the time of second transplant, but again, uh, prospective multi-center studies on a larger scale uh, necessary to uh, confirm our, our findings uh, as well as to assess the risk of uh, associ risk associated with uh, continuation of immunosuppression such as malignancy and infection. Uh, this both uh, uh, are our, our references. This is the actual uh, poster. And uh, yeah, here as uh, here, I just want to pause and uh, just want to um, thank you all faculties. 
my uh, next destination, some of faculties already know, uh, means it's uh, Rochester. I'm uh, moving next month, middle of June for my uh, residency. And I'm here working for almost three years. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I, I have worked with almost all faculties. And I'm really thankful for all teaching, all, all education. It was a really a good experience here during all three, close to three years of my training. And I learned a lot and I'm sure it will be helpful down the road. Uh, thank you, thank you so much. I appreciate all teaching, all education. And now I will uh, move to questions. Thank you, Jayesh. We enjoyed having you around uh, for uh, those three years. Uh, thank you. <laughs> we're really glad we had the chance to work with you. Yeah, thank you. Here, <laughs> here. Hear. Can you put it back on your uh, poster while you wait for questions? Sure. Let me open the chat. So I guess just to make the point, unlike the previous study where you were looking at two potentially dissimilar groups of patients who were different in continuing versus not continuing immunosuppression, here you have, if you will, um, a longitudinal study where each patient potentially sort of served as a control for themselves, separated by those that continued versus those that didn't. True, Chrissy. And, and again, I mean, uh, like Jayesh pointed out, there are a lot of other things that, uh, that uh, can, that have to be taken into consideration. I mean, everything in terms of PRA does not depend on immunosuppression alone. Uh, in all these uh, people who stopped, uh, you know, uh, blood transfusions, history of rejection, uh, then, then also, um, what's it? Nephrectomy. Nephrectomy, non-compliance. There, there are quite a few variables, but uh, what we are seeing is, um, you know, uh, Yes, statistically uh, significant when we look at odds ratio, uh, but also um, uh, numerically something that stands out uh, because uh, people continuing immunosuppression have uh, uh, are able to maintain their levels of antibody to around where it was even at their first go uh, or their first attempt at transplantation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you also, I mean, we, we've all talked about this, um, but and the signal seems to be quite strong and uh, uh, we hope to disseminate this with the, uh, with the purpose of, um, you know, embarking on something a little more uh, serious, uh, which is how much immunosuppression would be good. Um, what is, um, I mean, do we need to measure levels? Do we not need to measure levels when they're back on dialysis? Um, equally importantly, looking at risk of malignancy infection uh, as these people uh, line up for another transplant. I'd perhaps uh, repeat what I said before, not, not so much the issue of the, uh, the ascertainment bias, but 
of course, the ultimate question is, did the transplant succeed? Now, your, your number of patients is relatively small from a point of view of transplant survival, of you know, functional survival, but do you have, have you at least looked at whether there was a difference in the survival of the second kidney? Uh, uh, depended upon whether or not the patient received interim uh, immunosuppression. No, Larry, we haven't looked at uh, we haven't looked at uh, survival. But uh, given the number is small, I think that is something that we can do quickly. Well, um, you can do it quickly for sure. Yeah. But I, I I can't imagine that a reviewer would let you uh, publish this without knowing whether there is an actual sure. apparent impact, and even if it's underpowered and it may well be that you won't be able to say well it's statistically significant you only have so many patients and the survival rates are going to be pretty good anyway but uh, it, you know just to in terms of understanding the does this really make a difference whether the pras are higher uh, this this is particularly important because there's as i, I guess it was moni was emphasizing the it's not really the pra that makes a difference it's the uh, Antibody, you know, the donor-directed uh, antibodies that's significant. You, I'm sure, don't have data on all of that. But uh, the question is going to come, does this really make any difference? And you, you're going to have to address that issue. Right. So we, um, I mean, Liz Field and, uh, um, and Mohammed, Mahmoud Bilal uh, in the VA lab are helping us uh, retrospectively look at epitopes uh, that uh, these, especially this uh, population, these 47 patients uh, are expressing uh, to see if um, sensitization is going to be, the, the rates of sensitization are different based on the types of epitopes they have. Whether, I mean, if, is it worse if you have class two epitopes versus uh, class one? Uh, and that's something that will be added on to that. That's information that will be added on to this. Uh, but uh, I think uh, you make your point, and uh, we we should probably be looking at uh, how much, how how long these grafts lasted in these, uh, or they're continuing to last in these 47, 47 patients. And when you're looking at risks and benefits, that's kind of looking at the benefit side. I think on the risk side, it'd also be useful to look at. If the main concern is infection in these people who are continuing immunosuppression, what were the rates of infection, you know, in this group, or, or what were the rates of those side effects that you're worried about? Because if the risk is not very high, then even if the benefit's not that high, it might still be worth it. Right. Uh, that that's a little difficult because uh, you know we have only Epic to go with, uh, and uh, we we may not be catching all the all the episodes of infections that they go through from uh, UTIs to lung infections to, I mean, disseminated diseases. Uh, but you're right, Ben. I mean, uh, th this is something that's uh, one of the drawbacks where we're not able to um, get good data on uh, what the risk factors are, especially more if, uh, if a lot of their care is uh, taken care of by a local uh, nephrologist, more often than not, yeah.
Well, thank you again, Jayesh. And good luck. Yes. really appreciate you for the past three years. And uh, uh, on behalf of the region, I want to thank you very much for your two-year general nephrology, one-year transplant fellowship. Hope we will meet again. Thank you. And so for the faculty, uh, uh, we have a staff meeting, uh, 1 p.m. Let's take some uh, little bit time break and, and come back to start uh,